You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It is time. It is time. They can't be Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I am your host, JJ Lee, and today I'm going to be joined by a wonderful guest. You guys know I love having really smart guests on this podcast because it makes work really easy for me. I just ask a simple question, and a smart guest goes off and tells me way more than I could have ever thought to ask. And you guys get delicious content. It's the very best possible way to do this. And uh, today's guest, Nathan Baird, is an expert on Ohio State football. We're going to talk to him about draft prospects that the Packers certainly will have their eyes on. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is one of the highest mocked players to the Packers. Of course, when you're picking at number 15 overall, Maybe you have a chance to take a swing at Paris Johnson Jr., uh, widely considered to be one of the premier left tackles in this draft class. In fact, the Buckeyes really have draft prospects available at just about all of the Packers' uh, biggest draft needs, with the exception of tight end. And, and we're not going to get into C.J. Stroud on this uh, podcast because I don't think that he's going to be available at pick 15. Uh, I don't really see the Packers trading up from 15 to draft C.J. Stroud. He's probably going to be gone before, you know, pick 10 or so. If somehow the Packers do end up with C.J. Stroud, we'll have Nathan back on here to talk about him. But until that point, it did not seem like a good uh, use of time for uh, you listeners or for Nathan. So, uh, I, I do hope that you guys enjoy the heck out of this interview. Uh, Nathan is uh, very smart, very engaging, uh, very super, super nice guy, uh, and just a lot of fun to listen to. I had a blast talking to him, and I think you guys are going to learn a lot. Without further ado, Nathan Baird. I'm here with Nathan Baird. He is the beat reporter for Ohio State Football at Cleveland.com and a host of the wildly popular uh, podcast, Buckeye Talk. It's a fantastic show. Uh, if any of you who are not Badgers fans um, care to tune in, I highly recommend it. Um, and I will also say, I am really surprised that we were able to get him on this show because he's a Bears fan. So I'm not <laughs> sure what he wants to do talking to us Packers fans here. Nathan, thank you for coming on the show here. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I, I grew up a Bears fan. I don't know that I'm a fan of anybody these days because you, you don't have time to be a fan anymore sometimes when you get into to jobs like this. But um, yeah, and, and listen, we welcome Badgers fans. Badgers fans can come by. We we talk Badgers sometimes, not always in the in the most flattering way, but uh, very intrigued by what the Badgers are going to do with uh, Luke Fickle there now. 
Oh yeah. Oh man. The, the Ohio state ties to the Wisconsin Badgers right now. Very, very fascinating. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, some Green Bay Packers ties with the Buckeyes. Uh, first of all, several Ohio state players, uh, linked to the Packers, uh, highly mocked, uh, like Jackson says, Smith and Jigba is one of the highest mocked players to the Packers at pick 15. Of course, Paris Johnson, the left tackle is another guy. Uh, but also, you know, the Packers have Josh Myers sitting on their roster right now. And it's kind of interesting that uh, the next Buckeyes center, Luke Whipler, is also in this draft class. And uh, Josh Myers has been on a little bit of a roller coaster since he got to the Packers. Uh, very highly touted draft prospect. Um, still trying to find his footing in the NFL as a center. There is some speculation, uh, not backed up by anything the Packers are saying, but some speculation among commentators that maybe he'll get moved to guard at some point. So Luke Whipler actually is a guy that maybe we want to keep our eye on in this draft class. It is a deep center class, so I'm looking forward to talking about Luke. But Jackson Smith and Jigba is the reason that we're here. Uh, Nathan, I would love to hear from you because we got a lot of questions about JSN and you know what a, a crazy sequence of events led to him basically not playing the 2022 season at all. And one of my biggest questions is, is there anything that we can learn from his 2022 season, or is it just just a, a total wash? I think it's pretty much a total wash. Uh, I suppose you could take something from the fact that, you know, I think contrary to some of the narrative that was out there at at one point, I genuinely think he was trying to come back and play. He wanted to come back and play. There was a strong desire to play. And then there's plenty of guys in this day and age um, even sometimes on teams that are national championship caliber, uh, which Ohio State proved itself to be you know, without him, um, that would not have done that. That would have, you know, packed it in. They they had already proven themselves to be a high round, uh, potentially first round NFL draft pick with what they had done the year before and the things that they've been doing since in, in, in the spring and things like that. And so I, I take something from that, that, that that you can learn a little bit about something and just their disposition and their attitude and, and the, the way that he fought multiple times to try to come back, maybe almost to his detriment. Maybe you look at it in retrospect and say uh, there was a, a better plan that if they had just shut him down completely and not tried to come back three weeks in and halfway through the year and, and at those little shorter junctures, maybe they could have had him at the end. We don't know. We'll never know. But I, from a actual playing football standpoint, there was very little. I mean, he played what, like 60 snaps over three games. And, and in those second two games, the, he wasn't that involved. I mean, he ended the year with uh, just a smattering of catches after having been so productive the, the year before. Uh, it's really what he did in 2021, you know, as the slot guy in that three man monster of a, a receiving core that they had with uh, also Chris Olave and, and Gary Wilson for people who aren't familiar and what he sometimes did, even uh, two of his bigger games came when Wilson wasn't around and he had to step up and be a bigger part of the offense and, and did so in, in, in huge ways. So that's really the instructive year for him. And I'm very intrigued to see what he's able to do in pre-draft workouts, what he's able to do at the combine, because again, obviously he was he was never right again, health wise, to get back on the field in a real way for Ohio State. And and those times he did come back, you noticed it 
pretty quickly that, that things weren't right. So how right is he going to be physically by the time the draft comes around or, or those, those pre-draft events come around? And if he's not, I think there still would be reasonable certainty that by the you know start of the year or by camps and stuff, maybe he comes around. But if he's not really able to showcase himself prior to that, then what is that going to mean for his draft stock? Because I, I would understand teams having some hesitancy just based on uh, not having seen him now really for a, a extended period of time. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, a comparison, I guess, to make with his former teammate, Jamison Williams, who basically missed his entire rookie season uh, in the NFL with his injury, you know, and if you are looking at a situation like that, where you're just going to miss, you know, a, a potentially a quarter of his rookie uh, contract that makes it a lot harder to uh, bite the bullet on him early in the draft. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. And it's weird that this draft class is, you know, if he had come out, if he'd been allowed to come out after last season, I wonder where he would have been thought of, you know, at the time he was, he had not played outside at all. He was, or really much at all. He was almost exclusively a slot guy in that three man setup, as you would expect with, with those those other two talents. Um, so that would have probably put a, a bit of a ceiling on where his draft stock would have been, but I think he would have been very highly drafted after last year. If sophomores were able to come out, second year guys could come out, but having to wait for this next year. And then looking at this draft class, you know, last year's receiver class was so strong. I mean, you know, Jamison Williams, right. after everything he had done still went really high. Um, despite that injury. And then you had Wilson and Olave and Drake London all going. And I mean, those are all guys who went in the top 15 really? picks. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this year, I don't think it's as deep at the top at receiver. It doesn't seem like it. So the opportunity would be there. Um, but again, just be, if, if he had, if he had been able to come out and have, I mean, this is a guy that coming into the season, uh, I think opinion was still mixed on him, but because there were people who had questions about um, how he fit outside and whether that was a, an issue, but but based on what he had done, I think there was talk that maybe he's the first receiver off the board coming into the year. And then there's always a lot of talk, I guess, going into year. And then we see how it plays out and opinions can change a lot. But yeah, I think he he's, I, I don't really know where to kind of pin him down. As you know, from listening to our podcast, we always do a thing before the draft where we project guys uh, where they're going to go. And if I had to do it today, I, I don't know what I'd say about Jackson just because, um, the, the injury and not having seen him for a while, uh, I, it, it, it does leave some questions in your mind. And it's not really, I don't think I have long-term health questions about him, but he hasn't been able to, to build on what he did last year and then answer some more of those just football questions, how he fits in certain scenarios. Yeah. What was you guys expectation for 2022 in terms of how much he was going to be in the slot versus outside? Because with, like you said, with, Wilson and Olave there, you're not going to get opportunities outside. But, do, you know, we make a lot of comparisons in the NFL draft community with Justin Jefferson, who was like exclusively a slot guy in college. And the questions were, you know, can he play outside? And then obviously laid all those questions to rest when he went to the Minnesota Vikings. Did you guys see Jackson as a guy who you thought clearly could transition to the outside or were, you know, were there questions? What were your expectations for how much he was going to play outside? 
we still expected him primarily to be in the slot. You know, for, again, people who may not follow uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. had an amazing season as the X guy for Ohio State. And we knew that that was where he was on deck to, to fit in. And then uh, at the Z, you had a guy named Emeka Buka, who was the number one receiver in his receiving class two years ago. And Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver in his class three years ago. And they were going to share that other spot. But we also anticipated that they would move him around and not from a, a draft showcase uh, situation necessarily, but because um, they didn't want teams to be able to scheme to take him away uh, through the slot or whatever. So, uh, and the other thing that Ohio State likes to do, as you know, they they will. You know, Ryan Day has some NFL background and likes to play uh, two tight ends more than I think maybe the average fan would recognize, or at least he did when he thought they had two really good tight ends. He used to have you know two NFL tight ends at a time for sure, just a couple years ago. And that hasn't necessarily been the case uh, this past season. uh, And you didn't see as much of that. But when they would would play two tight ends, that would mean Smith and Jigba would just move to the outside. Same same as what Garrett Wilson did in 2020. I think that's really what we thought we were going to see last year. Um, You know, Jameson Williams, before he got to Alabama, was like the distant third receiver for Ohio State, which is why he went to Alabama. And one of the things that was happening was you had a a team that played a lot of, of 12 personnel and that meant that Wilson would move from the slot outside. That bumped Williams off the field. We kind of thought that uh, that would maybe be a little bit more what Wilson's, uh, I'm sorry, what Jackson's uh, 2022 would look like. Probably not as much 12 personnel uh, just because of, of what Ohio State had available to do that with. But but more um, and, and, and getting him outside in either in those scenarios or just by a matter of moving him around on the field um, and, and trying to get him outside. I think they were confident that his skills would play outside. It was just a matter of, of freeing him up because I don't think it made a lot of sense to do that with him again when they had Olave and Wilson. On your podcast, one of the things that you guys always like to highlight is that one of Jackson's huge strengths is – how dangerous he is with the ball in his hands after the catch. Can you talk about uh, kind of you know, what that looks like and 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 why that is uh, such a you know big thing worth highlighting and talking about? You know, he very early on profiled as a, a slot guy because you go back to his high school time and he was just such a prolific pass catcher. You know, playing at a, at a high level in Texas. Uh, you know, I don't have to tell people what Texas football is all about. I think that reputation is well-earned at this point and, and, and widespread. And, you know, he was playing at a high level there and it really prepared him to come in and he didn't have a huge role as a freshman, but you could see already some of the ball skills that he had as a, a freshman and they translated pretty quickly that second year. And I think it's a combination of two things that has made him dangerous. There's that what you want from any slot guy, which is that sort of um, small, small uh, space mobility and and quickness and ability to just get open in, in tight spaces over the middle of the field. That's always been a strength of his. But then, yeah, again, like what he the way he can make plays on a ball in the middle of the field and then turn and go. I mean, you can I can direct people back to uh, games against Nebraska that second year or obviously the Rose Bowl is probably the best example of that. But he could also be a vertical threat out of out of those situations, too. And, and they, they use that to their advantage in that game, especially. Uh, but it, it wasn't that he was limited to the slot. He was an all-around receiver who just fit the best in the slot for what Ohio State had personnel-wise 
and trying to get their best three guys on the field as, as often as possible. Yeah, the Packers are really looking to find a replacement for the role that Devonta Adams used to fill in their offense. And they added Christian Watson out of uh, North Dakota State uh, in the draft last year. And, you know, he's absolutely killing it in terms of stretching the field and drawing attention away. And I think a lot of fans are really salivating at the idea of, okay, but if you had another guy underneath who was elite and you had to make defenses choose where are you going to shade that extra, extra protection that that really would open the, up things a lot. And that, that gets people uh, definitely excited. Um, and, you know, as you're thinking about, uh, you know, what kind of guy you want in that role, you're thinking about the quick releases off the line of scrimmage that Devonte Adams had, and just a really polished route running. That seems to all be, uh, you know, baked in with, with Jackson. Um, you know, how, like, is, is he with missing that, 2022 season is he really uh viewed as that really polished prospect or is there still you know a, a lot of development that you, you you know you think that uh the nfl scouts are going to want to um or nfl coaches are going to need to see from him in the first couple of years the, the way you describe it i think is an interesting uh philosophical question for teams because i think 2021 showed a couple of things i mean again playing in that system with those two guys and a obvious you know nfl prospect quarterback in, in cj stroud um, he worked very well in the role that you're talking about. Like that, it's why he set a Big Ten record for receiving yards was because of what he could do operating underneath these other NFL prospects and really putting a lot of pressure on defenses at, at multiple levels and taking advantage of that and and sort of leveraging that problem against defenses. But at the same time, like I said, there were games against uh, Nebraska where Garrett Wilson was out with, I, I believe it was concussion symptoms. And then uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both opted out of the Rose Bowl. And that made Jackson Smith the Jigba like the clear number one thing for a defense to worry about. Um, and he ended up having this monster game of 300 and some yards. And now, as you've heard us mention many times on our pod, we always do throw in that caveat that Utah was like throwing some running backs out there in, at, at corner that day. And <laughs> it, it wasn't uh, the, the best version of Utah's defense that he did that against. But nonetheless, uh, you saw, again, both sides of it, that like what he could do as the guy who could take full advantage of the opportunity when, when defenses were stretched but then also what he could do when when he was the star, when he was in the spotlight and was the obvious number one guy that CJ Stroud was going to be looking for at any given time. But having said all that, again, coming into this year, we knew that there were uh, split opinions on him, that there were people who saw all of that and are like, listen, uh, forget all of the like nitpicking. Like when, when a guy at that level of college football does those things with a ball in his hands, it means something. Right. And how many guys do that? Like there's not everybody goes for 1600 and some yards. Like nobody had done it in the history of the big 10. So, you know, that, that should mean something. But there were also people who said, like, as I said a few minutes ago, like, no, when you're moving up a level, the standards get raised. There's a different level of critique that goes into this. And he, you know, you, you can only put so many guys on the field at once and, and is he limited or does he, can he prove that he can do some of these other things? I, I also want to make sure though, I think for people who have the right vision of him in the slot, again, I, I this wasn't a guy that we thought came in and was like a scat back. Um, some of the guys, you know, people who watched Ohio state over the years can remember some of the, the like H back kind of roles, what they called an H back uh, H receiver 
under Urban Meyer, and those were maybe more possession receiver type guys. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, exactly. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, you can go back uh, even to that freshman year, and he was making really athletic plays on the ball, really athletic catches. Um, you know, famous one from his freshman year going up and uh, for a touchdown against Nebraska and like toe tapping in the back of the end zone. There was a, a really impressive catch, like wrapping his, himself around a defender to make one against Michigan in 2021. There's a lot of instances out there of him doing the things that you would say uh, would just pass the eye test, right? Where you're like, oh, that's what NFL receivers do. There, There is that out there. So uh, he's put some of that stuff on film. Uh, as far as like the most technical aspects of what proves a guy can move outside, I'm sure there are probably some scouts that want to put him through their workouts, put him through a pro day at Ohio State, put him watch what happens at the combine and see how he responds to some of those specific scenarios. Because again, there just weren't a lot of reps of that at Ohio State, at least in games. So I'm sure they submitted you know practice film of him too, potentially doing some of those things. But what we watched in games, there's just not as much evidence of those things. A lot of critics, and and I don't fall in this category, but a lot of critics uh, will bill the Ohio State quarterbacks who have gone to the NFL as products of Ryan Day's scheme. And you don't hear that same sort of uh, critique about this pipeline of wide receivers that uh, Coach Brian Hartline is running through to the NFL. You know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, Jigba, Jameson Williams, soon to be Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, what in the world is Brian Hartline doing? He's pumping these guys out. Is there, do you guys see like, you know, the end of this pipeline coming? Is it just like, Hey, he just got a, you know, a handful of really amazing guys, or is this like something that's set up to keep going for a while? Yeah. He tends to get a handful every year. It seems like it, it isn't, you know, and I think the, the best example of that is what they had uh, in 2021, where it's, it's Olave Wilson and Smith and Jigba. And then, Two of those guys head out. And so who do they replace him with? They replace him with, you know, an, a unanimous All-American in Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka going over a thousand yards and they just didn't miss a beat. And now they got all three of those guys. There are three starters back for next year, but behind them at Ohio State right now, there's going to be a pretty fierce competition for who, who else fills those, those backup spots on this depth chart between a freshman class that came in last year and didn't get a lot of opportunity and, and another really touted one that's coming in this year. It's a, uh, you know, I think Ryan Day's quarterback room has gotten a lot of attention for being kind of a, a, a boiler room and and uh, the, the competition that's going on there. And obviously there's a starting battle going on there this spring. But the, the wide receiver room is every bit as if not more competitive because um, it, there's just such a, a glut of talent. And, and, and it's not all guys who are, as I was rattling off, you know, the, the rankings before for some of those guys. You know, Hartline has taken guys who are, you know, the – five stars and top 100 guys, um, guys that he identifies as his guys. And, and it, those have, they think are going to pan out in the long term too. I think the first thing that he does is on the recruiting end. And, uh, it can be, you, you can look like a really good coach at the end of the day. If you go find guys who were that talented in the first place, Jackson Smith, the Jigba was a, a guy who rose kind of late in his career to be, you know, five-star caliber, but had really proven himself as, as being a prolific receiver at, at that level. And Marvin Harrison Jr. was a pro in terms of his, um, physical preparation and his work ethic and all those things. Like Brian Hartline didn't have to make him that. He showed up like that. Mecca Buka, a guy who takes things really seriously. So all of those guys came to Ohio State sort of prepared for greatness already. 
And then I think on, on top of that, you have someone in Hartline who is some of the same things that apply in, in the way he coaches apply to, you know, how, how he gets them in the first place through the recruiting process. I think he's an engaging guy. I think he's a guy that these receivers trust and respond to. We were talking to him the other day about his new duties because he's moving up to offensive coordinator, even though he's still going to be the receivers coach. And he was talking about how, you know, though he wants to start building more relationships with the entire uh, offense uh, through recruiting and being more involved there because then that's going to help him. You have to have the relationship in order to really coach guys later. And I think you've already seen that at the, the call at the receiver level. I don't know that there is a, a secret sauce to it. I think he just, with his background, you know, being an Ohio state guy who then went on to the NFL and had success. And also I think being a guy who he is still relatively young in his, I think you probably in any line of work, you maybe hit a wall sometimes it can get jaded. But uh, he was a guy who, as you know, came to this late. He sort of showed up. He, he was come, moving back to Columbus anyway, came and did was a GA, uh, kind of backdoored into the receiver's coach job when they had uh, when they lost somebody there, and it just took off. And so he's still a little bit in the that sort of invigorated phase early in his career with this thing. And I think that attitude is a little bit infectious. It, it's a room where you guys come in and know that they're going to be prepared to play at the next level. And they know, uh, as you are saying before, that there's going to be a quarterback at every year who's NFL bound to that's going to be the one getting them the ball. And that it just feeds on itself. That's how they keep getting these guys. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. <clears throat> so we spent uh, a, a large chunk of time here on Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's the guy who people want to hear the most about. Um, but there are some other guys also in this draft class who really fit some big needs the Packers have uh, at edge rusher, offensive line, safety. I want to touch on uh, Ronnie Hickman toward the end here. Um, let's focus a little bit here on Zach Harrison because uh, this is a guy who I have always had a lot of questions about. So he, you know, uh, consensus uh, five-star prospect, comes in with a lot of expectations that you're thinking, you know, hey, is this going to be the next continuation of the Bosa's and Chase Young? And Zach Harrison is an athletic freak, and he has the PFF grades that you want to see. And the counting stats kind of just never really materialized for him 
And I think up until this year, you would hear a lot of Ohio State fans talking about Zach Harrison almost in like disappointed terms. Like he hadn't quite lived up to what their expectations were for him. He did. It seemed like he had a, a special 2022 season and had kind of finally come into his own. Um, with his decision to not go to the draft last year and come back for an, an extra year, how much do you think that he increased his, uh, his draft stock there? Oh, I do think he, he helped himself. I thought you saw some of the best games of Zach Harrison's career this year. Uh, the game at Iowa against Iowa, uh, jumps out to me. There were a couple of others that I think you would argue were, uh, you felt him in a different way this year. Um, I, I'm, I'm as much into, you know, analytics and, and not trusting your eyes always as, as anybody else and, and wanting to make sure I have objective data about things. But there is certain positions, and edge rusher is definitely one of them. It means something when you can really feel a guy. And you start to feel him more this year. He just had a presence in games. But that wasn't consistent. And I think I feel bad for guys sometimes because you're right that he came in in this line of edge rushing gods that Ohio State, I don't know whether we're to use, but like it's, it's Bosa, Bosa, and then Chase Young, who hasn't been spectacular in the NFL yet, partially because of injuries and things like that. But he was, you know, number, he was like third in the Heisman voting his junior in 2019 right. or whatever. Like he was right. phenomenal his last year in college. And he, because uh, Zach had that, you know, five star, whatever his ranking was, you know, very high in that 2018, 2019, 2019 class, 2018 class, 2019 class. 2019 class that he was just expected to fall right in line with that and be the next guy who was getting like 12, 14, whatever sacks a year. And that just was never his, I don't think Ohio state as a staff looks back and is disappointed in what Zach Harrison was. I think he's only disappointing relative to those outside expectations. It's not like he came in campaigning to be a five-star. That's just what other people decided to anoint him as. And that colors the, the, the expectations then and colors what kind of career he has. If if you go back and look, and I don't know how much people buy into the PFF numbers at the college level, you know, on our podcast, we debate that a lot and how much you, how much stock you should put into it. But I think they are very useful, not in the short sample size, but over long periods of time when you're making comparisons and really consistently, right. He just cranks out like scores in the eighties every year. I think he's a very uh, sound fundamental player. I think he really holds up well against the run. What I haven't seen, what we haven't seen yet, never saw really at Ohio State was like consistent, consistently being like a pass rush menace, consistently being like that guy that other teams really seem to fear uh, or had to fear. And not everybody does that. You can be a, you can be a productive defensive end to some extent without doing that. So we've speculated like, is he a guy that when he gets to the NFL level, is he used in a more um, a more niche way that that emphasizes his strengths, and then you can you'll know, have pass rush specialists or something that that and we'd even at one point speculated does he fit better inside than and that was never something they tried at Ohio State. I guess they were confident enough in who they had inside and liked what he gave them on the edge. But there's probably some versatility there um, that they could exploit. I, I really think he's a, he's a sound, uh, really good football player. Um, but as far as like projecting him as he would have been coming in as a freshman to Sunday being like elite edge rusher, 
the, like you said, like the production just never showed up that way. Okay, with the versatility there, so the Packers run a three-four defense, and they took Rashawn Gary and made him into a stand-up outside linebacker. Do you think that, um, and, and maybe you don't even know, maybe it's not a fair question to throw at you. Do you think that Zach Harrison could make that kind of transition? Have you have uh, you seen Ohio State ever use him in a stand-up role, or you know, do you think that that would really be a difficult transition for him to make? You know, it wasn't something they asked him to do a lot. Uh, people may know that when, when Jim Knowles came in this year as the, this past season, I should say, as the defensive coordinator, there was even a, a, a position in the defense called the Jack that, it, or some people call it a Leo. He calls a version of it the Leo. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> we'll go into it all, but, <laughs> but it's, and that's not even really a stand up uh, edge rusher though. That's, that's more of a, a hybrid position unto itself, but they didn't ever really ask Harrison to do that either. He has always been more of a, you know, hand in the dirt sort of defensive end. I wouldn't rule it out though, because I just think that there is some athletic versatility there that Ohio State didn't have to use to get what it wanted out of him. Um, but I think an NFL team could probably, you know, move him around a little bit and, and find the, the best fit. Like again, like you go back if people were to go back and watch that Iowa game, go back and watch some of those other games, there was like a three or four game stretch where I thought you saw some of the best football of his career he was also a guy too and and, and this I think means something that uh, you don't worry about durability with him a guy who was pretty consistently on the field that never had you know didn't miss a lot of games didn't didn't wasn't gone for extended periods of time you know I think back last year to someone like Tyreek Smith uh, a guy that came out of Ohio State last year who similarly had those flashes and maybe even flashed at a higher level in terms of being an edge rusher but but did always have some trouble staying on the field. Had you know delayed seasons and chopped up seasons. And and Zach Harrison's a, a gamer. I'm not like trying to demean Terry Smith in any way because injuries happen. It's it's a rough game. Sure. But but sure. but Harrison's durability fought through that. And uh, I just feel like it's a guy that should fit on an NFL roster and and does probably have some untapped upside. But it does also mean something when you're out there that much consistently. And the, the edge rushing aspect of it, the, the, the real, like, just just didn't get a lot of sacks in his career. I and mean, he probably ended his career with as many sacks as people would have guessed he had coming in. Like I said, that that's, that some of that's outside expectations that aren't fair to him. But it was also something that was missing from Ohio State's defense these last couple of years, is getting that sort of edge rushing threat to um, help that defense out as a whole. Yeah, that makes sense. The The defense was, uh, particularly in the 2021 season, the defense was very disappointing to anybody who looked at it. Um, and a big thing with a, a, a guy like a, a, a you know, premier pass rusher is leadership. You know, Do you think that uh, you guys uh, felt any kind of a lack of leadership on that defense there? Um, you know, do, or do you have uh, stories or insight into what kind of a uh, – you know, leader uh, Zach Harrison might be positively or negatively. Uh, you know, what get, get, give us a breakdown of of his personality and, and kind of the 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 man that you're bringing along with the player. The defense definitely lacked leadership in 2021. However, uh, you would know maybe more than the average person who's listening to this podcast just how fractured that defense was because two games into the year they lose to Oregon and Ryan Day demotes the defensive coordinator and 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 promotes someone else into that job. And it, it was kind of a fiasco and uh, they were able to mostly get their feet back under him that year. But 
I think that contributed to some of the, the leadership issues is that that defense didn't really trust what was the calls that were coming out of the field at times. They didn't trust each other enough because there were some fundamental breakdowns in the way that they were playing. So I don't know that I put that as much on the players. I think that was a little bit off kilter to start and just never sure. got corrected. But having said that, Zach Harrison was a captain for that defense and he was not a captain this past year. He didn't get voted a captain mm. his second time around, which maybe I don't know the behind the scenes there. If there were guys who asked not to be captains, I guess that would maybe say something about somebody or, or if he just didn't get voted a captain that second time around, I don't know that that meant that it was a rejection of, of what he was, but uh, so you have both sides of it. He has been a captain, but then wasn't voted a captain again. And people can make the, their own determinations. I'm sure that's one of those things that NFL teams are probably asking him about in interviews. Cause as you know, that they, they get pretty in depth with that stuff and want to know, and it is probably something they're asking other Ohio state players about as they're trying to, to find out about Zach Harrison. I, he was always a little bit enigmatic with uh, the media at times. He, he seemed because I think of the attention I remember his family or hearing that his family was not super comfortable with some of the, the recruiting process and some families really absorb it. And some find it a little bit intrusive, not, not dealing with teams, but dealing with us and fans and like all that noise that's out there. And I don't, I think he came in a little bit with that in the back of his mind. And then again, when your, your expectations are here and maybe you only perform to here, but that's seen as some kind of big failure uh, by, by people uh, that probably only adds to that. I always had, I thought good one-on-one conversations with him. He's uh, an intelligent guy. He is a, I think thoughtful guy, a, a, um, a mature guy at this point, having been in college for all four years. And I think he fits in a locker room. Well, I don't think he's any kind of a, a problem by any means there. Um, sure. So I I'm, I'm, he's someone I'm really intrigued by as he makes his transition to the next level, because again, we, we see the clear football talent there. It's what is the, the ceiling in certain um, capacities for that talent is, is he just not going to ever be that kind of edge rush threat? And if not, um, at least as a, again, you know, hand in the dirt guy, where does an NFL team put him that maximizes what he can be at that level? It seems like he doesn't have any limitations at all physically, just, you know, athletic talent oozing out of every pore. Is that an accurate statement? Like, like he has all the room to grow, you know, that it's just, you know, between the ears stuff that he needs to uh, keep developing. Is that an accurate description? You know, I don't even know if it's if it's a between the ears thing. Again, I think this might just be a a, a situation where he is the player he is at this point, and uh, that's a productive player in some realms, and but but isn't uh, an attribute that he has in other realms. Now, because he's a defensive end, uh, it, you know, at around Ohio State, when we've questioned this the last couple of years, the, the the quick comeback has always been like, well, you don't have to get sacks to be a a good defensive end. I'm like, well, that's true. But uh, to get sacks as a team, you tend to have to have good edge rushers. Uh, and <laughs> so, you know, chicken before the egg kind of uh, conversation can start there a little bit. I think that is still something he's going to have to prove at this next level, that he could be more productive in that position if he's going to be a defensive end at the NFL level, which I still think is probably where he profiles the best. So because of what you're saying, you're right about just the athletic head-to-toe what he can put on the field on any given snap. And I think that's going to be intriguing to teams. I think he's probably going to still be a day two guy. It's what I would expect 
to see from him. And what what does he do at the combine? Like, where does he show up there and impress teams? Because, you know, uh, Ohio State does things its way. And uh, it was obviously very productive for edge rushers for a long time. Does an NFL team do it another way that frees him up in a, in a more productive way? Yeah, you talk about uh, you know, flashing at the combine. A guy who's flashing right now at the Senior Bowl and I know Paris Johnson is like the premier guy, but Dewan Jones is really exciting to talk about right now with just the, the showcase that he's putting on at the senior bowl. Can you talk to me about Dewan Jones? You know, just uh, kind of a, a crazy diamond in the rough sort of a story here that OSU really found a guy who looks like maybe he's going to end up a, a first round pick. Maybe, I, I, you know, I don't know where you see him going. Uh, do you think that he is absolutely a bona fide NFL tackle? Or are there, you know, uh, still any lingering questions about his development? I mean, the, the, and and by the way, I just have to ask you, like, how big is he actually? Because <laughs> I've seen videos of you. You're not the tallest guy. And then it seems like if you have any video of anybody else and Dewan Jones walks by, you only get his bottom half in that video. Yeah. Uh, he's massive. So if if, he, <laughs> if he's playing in the NFL, he's a tackle. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's a tackle. Um is he an NFL tackle? I think so. I think he's proven that these last two years. I think he, he – okay. now, I don't think he is probably an NFL left tackle. Uh, that size is – it does come with its great advantages and then some disadvantages. The, to go back um, to where this all started for him, you know, I used to work in Indiana, and the first time I ever saw Dewan Jones was in the summer of 2019 playing for the Indiana All-Stars, which is like – People know how huge basketball is in Indiana, and it's like this really prestigious thing if you get selected for the Indiana All-Star team, and they play this home-and-home with the Kentucky All-Stars every summer. He was on that team, like one of the 12 best senior basketball players in the state of Indiana. He was – yeah, Ohio State had allowed him to play in that game because it was like such a a great honor for him. And that guy moved. I mean, it was fun to watch. Like he's this huge – like he's 6'8", 3". I mean, he was probably more like 380 at that point in his life, right? Like three above what he plays at now. He's now he's more like high 350s, 360, somewhere in there. I, I've seen him listed, uh, but just a, a massive guy. And the question was always, you know, Greg Stradrawa, the former offensive line coach, told Doug Maurice, our columnist at the at, at bowl practice uh, back then, like if he hits, if this works, he's going to be a first rounder. And he was a guy who was a three star prospect, ranked pretty low, and Ohio State got in him kind of late it looked like he's his ceiling might be like a ball state or an indiana or something like that but ohio state sure. took this this shot on him because and 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 other guys who who come in with those low rankings and maybe they've got a little height it's been i think there's been some some lazy comparisons made in the past that like oh that maybe that guy's the next dewan jones at ohio state and i'm like no like <laughs> those guys aren't uh, division one basketball <laughs> prospects. And he was like, he was, he had looks from division one basketball teams at that size, just because he moved so well, like athletically, there's, there's so much inside oh, him. Cool. And we were curious, like we thought this was going to be like a long-term project that maybe it was going to be three, four seasons in before you really saw him. But then his freshman year, they blew his red shirt because he's out there playing on uh special teams, uh, helping wow. block field goals and, and stuff. And, uh, then by his sophomore year, you saw him mix in a little bit, like got on the depth chart. And in junior year, you know, we're going to talk about Paris Johnson, I suppose, in a moment. But Paris Johnson had to play guard his second year when everybody thought, uh, as the, we knew, he was the left tackle of the future for Ohio State and had been projected there since he was, you know, early in his high school career. 
but Dewan Jones emerged in preseason camp as a guy that they had to have on that offensive line. And that reshuffled a lot of things and made Paris Johnson a guard that and Thayer Mumford coming back for another year. But to get there by his third year and then have the success he had these past two years um, is both intriguing in terms of what he proved he can do at a pretty high level for Ohio State, but also what it means for whatever team drafts him, because I think there's still a lot of upside there that he can still grow. Not he's not going to grow. <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> no, like you guys don't have enough. I mean, he, he's he's not going to grow physically, but I think there's much room for his game to grow and continue to, to hone skills and, and become um, just a better all around offensive lineman. Cause he was still like relatively, late coming to this game and taking it as seriously as he did because he was a guy who loved basketball probably still through his freshman year at Ohio State. That was still his first love, and, and football has been a, a, a later experience in life for him. So I, I think there's just a, a lot of ways for him to get better. You're right that this week at the Senior Bowl, he measured in at like you know almost a 90-inch wingspan, which if he does that at the Combine, assuming I don't think he's going to shrink, between now and then, I think <laughs> I think it's going to be maybe the longest wingspan in the history of the combine. That's crazy. It's wow. certainly the longest that's ever been at the Senior Bowl, which which uh, in itself says something. I think it's about four or five inches longer than the the best one that was at the the combine last year. So that tells you where he is, just in terms of it's 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 height and weight, but there's also the frame that you want to be an effective offensive lineman. Um, he moves so well for that size, though. For that size is a legitimate part of that conversation. Sure. Um, and more to the point, though, more than just the wingspan and, and the, the measurements, what he was doing Tuesday from like all accounts at the, the Senior Bowl, just walling guys off and, and smothering these edge rushers. He didn't give up a sack per per PFF per I think every measurement. I, I mean, I don't track that myself, but he didn't give up a sack this year, this past season for Ohio State. Again, he's only playing on the right side, but let's at the NFL level, this is, I think, one of the important distinctions. At the college level, even in the Big Ten, even playing into the playoffs the way Ohio State does, you don't necessarily always see two really strong edge rushers at the same time. It's, you know, right. a lot of teams will have one, and that's why you need to have a great left tackle. But they'll move those guys around in the NFL. If you don't have two, they'll attack you from both sides in the NFL and, and get your get try to get that edge rusher in the best possible matchup. So you're going to have to have a strong right tackle at this next level. So he's going to have to be better in pass pro at this next level than he ever was at Ohio State. But at right tackle, where you still even at the next at the NFL level, really want that kind of you know road grader out there, clearing space and and leading a run game at, at times. I think he profiles really strongly there. Uh, so yes, the, I, I saw the Nick Baumgartner from the Athletic, who, who covers you know a lot of football up in Michigan, said that there are teams that only had like a fourth round grade on Jones. Uh, and I understand why, because of maybe sure. some skepticism about how well he's going to move. But uh, I, there's also people who, like you've said, is he a, could he be a late first round pick? Could he be someone in that second round mix? You know, uh, as someone who again, follows the bears and knows that they need just desperately offensive linemen. I wondered, do they take a shot on him? They've got an early second round pick. They need offensive line help so bad, but everybody knows that they're going to take Will Anderson or um, uh, John Carter. John Carter, yeah, to, at, early yeah. in the in the the 
Jalen Carter early in the first round. So are they going to try to get offensive line early in the second round? And could he be somebody that they look for there? Uh, I don't know because they need help immediately. And he may still be at the NFL level, have to take another year of, of transition. I don't know. Um, it'll be, I'll be really intrigued to hear how NFL scouts assess him after they've had time to process what they saw this week. Um, he's now he had a great Tuesday and then, um, I saw that maybe he was exhibiting some concussion symptoms. He didn't practice the last two days there. So uh, whether he'll play in the actual senior bowl game, I don't know. But again, Baumgartner, I saw a tweet from him where he was like, he proved everything he needed to prove on Tuesday in his opinion that, you know, he showed up in a big way. He was a standout player at the senior bowl. And, you know, how do teams now when he gets into some workouts, uh, how does he, how do they reassess him as they get closer to the draft? Yeah, I know Nicholas Petit Frere uh, really struggled against Michigan in the 2021 game. Uh, do you recall how uh, Dewan Jones and, and Paris Johnson held up uh, in both of those two Michigan games? Um, you know, the, playing in the NFC North, you are going to be going up against the Aiden Hutchinson. So, uh, you know, I, I think that some of that history uh, is at least a little bit relevant here. Um, you know, and, and uh, Ohio State has not – not Ohio State, Green Bay has not had a right tackle, in, you know, in, in the last two years. And it would be really nice to pick a guy up, um, you know, especially if you can uh, bolster your uh, ability to run block. And if you had a, you know, really big physical road grader in there, that would be awesome. But obviously, first and foremost, uh, you got to protect Aaron Rodgers or whoever is under center and keep him upright. You know, in, in, in those premier games where he's gone up against, uh, uh, Michigan, uh, both these guys, uh, uh, Paris Johnson as well. When they've gone up against the Michigan pass rushers, uh, the guys at Georgia, how'd they hold up? I, I'm not remembering off the top of my head exactly what his performance was against Michigan. I know the whole offensive line did not perform well that day in pass pro or really in any aspect of that game, uh, the 2021 game. And that was a, an example of one of the few teams that could put two NFL edge rushers on the field with Hutchinson and David Ojabo. And they failed that test. Ohio State will tell you right now that they, they did not live up to that test. Now, Nicholas Petit Frere then went on to be a rookie starter for the Titans this past year. And I think that was maybe a, a, a telling thing that it may have said more about how good Hutchinson was than it did about how bad Ohio State's offensive line was, although you can't be as bad as they were that day. So the truth was was somewhere in between. Uh, Jones, like I said, I don't remember him giving up a lot of sacks overall last year, and he only gave up—he didn't give up any this year. Paris Johnson gave up, uh, didn't, hadn't given up a sack all year until he gave one up against Michigan, and then I think also gave up one uh, against yeah, Georgia. Georgia. But there's a reason why he's being projected as a top 10, 15 guy again. This is a third-year guy, but a guy who was a—you know—in Ohio State circles was considered the best offensive line prospect when he came in that they'd had since Orlando Pace, who might be the best at the college level, certainly that, that has ever done this or is on the short list. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that, again, those outside expectations are always fair to him, but it, I think NFL teams have had their eye on him for a while and he is, his intangibles are off the charts. Like a guy who at the start of his career, even before NIL was doing, you know, charitable things and raising money for people and has, has gone the extra, has taken that up a notch since the name, image, and likeness stuff has come around. So uh, you're going to – whoever drafts him is getting a, a fantastic person. But I know people are mo first and foremost concerned about the football side of it. Uh, both of those guys, uh, I think, have uh, have 
shown that they, they dominated against the average team that Ohio State played and even some of the good teams that Ohio State played. You know, Penn State is a good example of a team that typically has a pretty good defensive line and puts NFL-type guys up there, and Ohio State shuts those guys down more often than not uh, these past few years. And, and those guys have then gone on to be NFL draft picks and have, have, have made a place for themselves early in their careers. So did they have, did they give some things up against some of the best teams they played? They did. And I'm sure that's something that, that is getting brought up in these, these NFL draft circles, but uh, as they go through the pre-draft process, but both Johnson and Joe and yeah, but both Johnson and Jones, uh, I think have proven themselves to be NFL caliber offensive linemen. I think it's just a matter of how quickly do they move in. And uh, especially in the case of Jones, is he NFL ready to star from day one. And that may be why there's a fourth round grade on him to some extent, because if teams think that the upside is there, um, but you maybe can't use a first round pick to get to that upside sure. and wait for that upside. That that may be part of the equation for him. The, for Johnson, by all accounts, it does not sound like that same concern is there. It sounds like that's someone that people think could be drafted uh, in those first 15 picks and, and slide right in and, and start for a team pretty quickly. And he's got the versatility. Like I said, he played guard inside. I think he could probably play on the other side if he had to. He could play right tackle if he had to. If, if a team already had a really strong left tackle uh, and, and and eventually move back over there, there, there's some flexibility with him just because he is such an, uh, an all-around skilled guy. Talk about Luke Whipler. What kind of guy is he? Um, you know, we, we have gotten very familiar with Josh Myers over the last couple of years. How would you compare Luke Whipler and Josh Myers um, as centers at Ohio State? Very, very different, um, both in terms of their backgrounds and then the, the, the careers that they – in some ways, the careers, I guess, are similar. They, they were both you know two-year starters and, and did very well for Ohio State. But you know, Josh Myers was a guard, had been a guard his whole life. Uh, well, I guess he probably made a tackle at the high school level, but came to Ohio State thinking he was going to be a guard long term and wasn't super excited to be moved to, to center right away. But was a and is an is an Ohio kid, like more of a small town Ohio guy. And uh, but eventually like fell in love with that position and being the guy who was in charge of the calls and and the um, the intellectual, for lack of a better term, challenges that go into that job as much as anything else. And really embraced it and, and became a big part of really successful teams for two years. You know, a team that went to the playoffs twice in 2019 and 20 and got to the national championship game that second year through the whole COVID mess. Uh, Luke Whipler is not an Ohio guy. He is a Jersey guy. And it was very fun to kind of uh, watch that dynamic play out like him compared to some of the other guys on this team. Like it just has a very uh, Jersey attitude about him and really became more comfortable throwing that around over the course of his career. He's a, a confident kid and a, a really motivated kid. You know, we were hearing stories. I shouldn't say kid. I hate saying kid. Um, but we were hearing stories about him coming back out of that 2020 national championship game where he wasn't really involved, uh, you know, getting immediately back from that game. And, you know, the offensive line coach is getting like FaceTimes from him the night that they get back, like the day after the game, because he's back in the, the team complex, like working on stuff when everybody else is, you know, taking a much deserved break. But that wasn't how his mind worked. And, he uh, kind of got thrust into the center job going into 2021. They had a guy who they thought was going to be the starting center named Harry Miller, who ended up stepping away from, from football and had had some injury things and some other uh, uh, things to deal with. And 
that thrust Whipler into just being the starting center. And he held his own, I thought, in 2021, but then kind of really came into his own this past year and was, uh, I think, considered a strength of this offensive line and made himself a draft prospect. And, and we're always suspect on guys coming out after their third year as interior offensive line guys and being able to make this jump. But he, by all accounts, if you look around anybody's ranking, they see him as a, a potentially high day two guy at, as a center, one of the first centers off the board. That's all he's played at Ohio State. I assume that is where he'll be pinpointed in the NFL. He's not a guy that will move mm-hmm. around a lot. He doesn't have size. He's not a big guy from by an NFL standard, probably even for centers. But he is, you know, had a, a great rapport with C.J. Stroud these last two years, has been, you know, two years of experience lining this offense up that was a really productive offense, the most productive offense in the country by some metrics. And I think because he's only a third-year guy, if you come out now, and if you think there's a ceiling anyway on where you're not going to move into the first round, you'll come out now right. and people will see that you have more upside. That's another year of, of growth that they get with you to as, as you progress towards how what your ceiling is going to be, how good you're going to be. So he, he would State was surprised that he came out. You know, Ryan, they yeah. said that earlier this week that they had hoped that he wouldn't come out most I don't think because they think he isn't ready. That's going to be my next question. Yeah. I don't know that it's because they think he isn't ready uh, because I think there are, you know, again, the the projections are telling you that for an interior guy, because those guys just so randomly rarely go in the first round that if they're calling you a day two guy already, that maybe it makes sense to come out. Um, Coach once told me, I thought wisely that, you know, the, the goal isn't to get drafted. The goal is to get in the league and stay. So, but the projections are saying he can probably do that. If Ohio State wanted him back because they were already going to be out these other two starting offensive linemen, and now they got to find a third at a pretty crucial position for a first-year starting quarterback. But I, I didn't get from what Ryan Day said early this week that they thought it was a mistake for him to come out. It just kind of put them in a tougher spot preparing for this season. Uh, would he have benefited from another year? I was surprised he came out. In a, but, again, I think – you you listen to the feedback and the feedback is telling him that NFL teams think he's ready. Okay. That's fantastic context. Uh, One more guy before we wrap up and get out of here, we don't have to spend a lot of time on him, but Ronnie Hickman, uh, I saw that he uh, logged like the fifth fastest time at the senior bowl uh, a couple days ago, something like that, um, which uh, surprised me. I had not uh, ever thought of Ronnie as being any kind of a burner. Um, What kind of an athlete is he? Uh, you know, what, what sort of, uh, you know, NFL role would you see him filling? Well, they call him Rocket, but that was a nickname he got more as like a toddler than something that he earned uh, <laughs> on the football field. Uh, you know, a great athlete. Like he was a guy who, uh, you know, another guy coming from uh, New Jersey who was a l- lacrosse star there and probably could have played Division One lacrosse. So that tells you a little bit about just the the full spectrum of, of athleticism that he has. And I, I probably, sh- I probably should say you and I who know who Ronnie Hickman is. Some people don't know he's a safety. I should have right. mentioned we're talking about safety here. Okay, go ahead. Exactly. And, uh, and he's played a couple roles there, you know, 2021 was his first year as a starter and they had a, a position that they called the bullet. That was, uh, I guess what is more traditionally a strong safety. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the whole parlance of the way Ohio state has, has, mix and matched its terminology here under a couple defensive coordinators, but 
so he played more of that role in 2021 where they had more of a, a single high look, at least to start the year before they you know made some changes on the staff. And then this past year, he moved to what is more of a free safety job in Jim Knowles' defense. And mm-hmm. in, 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 in 2021, he led this team in tackles. But as people know, right. it's not always a good thing when a, a safety is leading your team in tackles, even if it's a safety that, that plays in the box a lot. And one of the healthier things about this defense was that he didn't lead this team in tackles. That went back to the linebackers, and he got to be more of the uh, a guy who could clean things up. Um, it, what you didn't necessarily see a ton of was like playmaking on the ball over the course of his career. That's not always the most crucial thing for a safety. I think what you did see from him in general was a you know, very reliable performance at the back end of the defense. It was a a stark contrast, I think, between some of the things you saw in 2020 and 2021 with this defense. They really missed a guy named Jordan Fuller, who's playing for the Rams now, who was a very yeah. low draft pick, but was a, a has proven himself a, a, to be a reliable NFL guy and had really been sort of a quietly crucial guy for a 2019 Ohio State team that you know went to the playoff and uh, one of the big, he's, he's a huge, 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 uh, feature in the Rams defense as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, they missed that in 2020 and 21 and uh, that, that just security at the back end of the defense and Hickman brought it back this past year. I thought, uh, now they, again, they changed the scheme. It was a different approach. And sometimes the way Knowles played was so aggressive that it, there wasn't that help back there. Uh, they probably could have used it a, a little bit more at times, but, but, He's he played in a scheme this past year that is was very aggressive, where they were willing to use him as a weapon, bring him in uh, on blitzes, you know, have him playing downhill the way they did everybody really in this defense at times, uh, but especially that safety group and the linebackers. And I don't think he is a high draft pick, but a okay. guy that I think can fit on an NFL roster because he's just so athletically versatile and has now played multiple roles in a a defense that, you know, obviously competes at a high level. So where does he profile the best at the NFL level? I, I don't know that I can answer that, and, but I don't, in, in some ways I would say that out of, I was almost saying that, I guess, for someone like Zach Harrison out of like weakness, uh, not weakness isn't the right term, but like, um, you know, maybe somebody has to find the best way to bring things out of him. With Ronnie Hickman, I think, you know, you could draft him and maybe move him around as as you need him to fit in your defense the best. Where, where sure. do you need somebody to contribute? Yeah, well, the Packers may not have any safeties uh, really on their roster heading into this offseason. So I think there's a lot of places you can plug and play Ronnie Hickman uh, with us. Uh, looking at um, anybody else who is draft eligible, do you think there's anybody uh, who you think really uh, feels like they have a you know, long NFL future? you got uh, Noel Ruggles, the kicker, cornerback uh, Cam Brown, uh, Teron Vincent, the uh, defensive lineman. Any of these guys feel like uh, long-term NFL guys to you or, or – Teron Vincent is an intriguing guy to me because uh, people may know that name. He's the son of Troy Vincent, longtime, you know, former Badger, longtime NFL player, now involved with the, um, the Players Association or with with the NFL itself, I guess I should say. And um, someone who, again, like counting stats, you look at it, and the it's not like he was a guy who who racked up a bunch of of sacks or. Or, or thing big numbers as a you know a three tech in that defense the last couple of years and so I don't know then if he fits what the Packers would want from a tackle in this in their defense from a from a three four standpoint but again just with his his background 
and how solid he played for Ohio State, especially this past year. He had his best game in some ways, probably in that 2021 Rose Bowl and turned some heads that maybe he finally arrived after a long, like really frustrating bout with injuries for several years. And then this past year was a real stabilizing factor in the front of that defense. And all the success that you saw from linebackers this past year, like Tommy Eichenberg, who was a like consensus second team All-American, and Steel Chambers, who had a strong year, and, and some of these safeties, the, the seasons that those guys had were predicated on getting better defensive line play in front of them, and Teron Vincent was a part of that. So I think that's probably a guy who, again, maybe third day um, an NFL team is going to take and see what they can get out of him. All right, Nathan, thank you so much for your time here on this podcast. It's been absolutely a blast. Uh, folks, go read cleveland.com and uh, check out the Buckeye Talk podcast on all platforms. Uh, highly recommend it. Love that show. And follow Nathan on Twitter at NWBaird, B-A-I-R-D. Nathan, appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks a lot.